Welcome to Truth Always Matters. This program is brought to you by We Care Ministries of Chico. If you'd like to join us today on today's broadcast, you can call into KKXX at 530-894-7325. In these challenging times, we are addressing in today's program issues that face the body of Christ and equipping the saints with the truth of the inerrancy of Scripture and sound biblical doctrine. Good afternoon. I'm your host, Georgie Zendry, along with my co-host, Ed Zendry. Ed, honey, will you open us in prayer? Dear Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being able to publicly confess our faith in you, the truth of your scriptures, and the foundation you laid for your church through sound biblical doctrine. We ask you to bless the local body of Christ. We ask for your blessing on this radio program and use it to speak to your saints and encourage them to boldly walk in fellowship with you and one another. We ask you to bless this radio program. Use KKXX in proclaiming the gospel and building your church. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Truth always matters in every aspect of life. In our spirituality, what we believe, what we teach, where we go to church. In our everyday personal lives, are we truth seekers? Are we truth speakers? Does our everyday personal lives reveal truth? Truth matters in raising our children. Truth matters in our financial dealings. Do we buy and sell products we know offend the Lord? Do we trust God with our finances? The media. How many hours a day do I watch TV? What is my favorite programs? Do these programs glorify the Lord? How many hours a day do I focus on my phone? How many hours a day do I go play games? Truth in the media also is, is important. You can see the effect that the media has on our, on our nation and on the people in general, our society. Truth is so important there. Ask yourself, how many hours a day do I spend in God's Word? How many hours a day do I pray? Am I out preaching and praying for the lost? Truth matters in our social lives. Do we go to church on Sunday? And on Monday, we're telling dirty jokes. Do our lives line up with the Bible? Truth matters in the judicial system. Do you work in the judicial system? Is it about truth or is it about winning? Is it about money? Truth really matters in politics. Is it about truth? Is it about winning? Is it about political power or becoming servants to serve the people? Georgie, what is the mission of Truth Always Matters. As we discussed in last week's program on the declining church and its impact on society, we know because of the ongoing breakdown of the family, society, and compromises in the church, the light and salt of historic Christianity has dimmed and lost most of its saltiness in society. We no longer or very seldom are impacting those people around us that matter the most. In the last 60 years, the church has experienced numerous attacks on the church, the Bible, the personage of God, 
and every other essential doctrine of Christianity. In fact, on the very personage of God, we ask ourselves, who is God? What is God? Today, most people in society are either agnostic or they worship a God in the form of pantheism or a God in their own imagination. As Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, we worship the one true God of the Bible. For nearly 40 years, I dedicated myself to searching the scriptures and history for God's truth on biblical inerrancy and the essential doctrines of Christianity. In 1984, we formed the We Care Ministries as a vehicle to equip the church on how to rescue our loved ones out of a cult and equip the church in evangelizing people in cults. Because there was another local Christian ministry focused on the non-Christian cults, such as the Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons, we focused on the extremist cults and the aberration movements inside of Christianity. In the 1990s, the other Christian ministry dissolved and left a tremendous vacuum in Northern California. They no longer equipped a church on how to reach out with the love and truth of biblical Christianity to those lost in cults. In 1993, we produced Issues and Answers as a vehicle to bring biblical truth into the very complex issues of society. Today, more than ever, there is a tremendous need for an apologetic ministry here in the North State. The cults are effectively evangelizing Christians into into deception. For example, the Mormon church grew from 16 million to 18 million from 2021 to 2022. If we look at the statistics of the cults, in the United States overall, there are approximately 5,000 individual cults in the U.S. Just here in California, there's 1,000 here in California, individual cults. They range in Membership from eight members to millions of members. The number lost in cults is staggering. These stats do not include the worldwide apostasy predicted in scriptures of the last days. We're still faced with that. When Jesus said in Matthew 24 that if it were possible, the very elect could be deceived. That's what we're facing today. Because of the growing threats of spiritual deceptions towards the churches, We Care Ministries is reopening its building on Highway 32 in Chico as an apologetic center. We stand on the tensions of Christianity, on the Jesus Christ of the Bible, on the importance of the essential doctrines of Christianity. Georgie, the term apologetics sounds like you're making excuses or apologizing for the Bible. Well, actually, Ed, apologia is Greek for defense. Apologetics is the defense of the gospel. Like a defense attorney, who stands in front of the judge arguing for his or her clients? It would like be you being in court, and you have this expert, this uh, apologetics, is the Bible is on defense. It's, it's being persecuted, and you stand in defense of the Bible itself or the the doctrines of Christianity. That's what an apologist is, is you're standing as an attorney for the defense of Christianity. As an apologist, we believe the only defense against false teachings and false teachings teachers is to be inoculated in biblical truth and fully understand and believe in the essential doctrines of Christianity. Okay, Georgie, let's test your skills. 
What are the essential doctrines of Christianity? Well, the essential doctrines of Christianity is, number one, the Bible. Number two, it is, I'm going to my notes here real quick. Number two, it is on the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, it is the Trinity. We believe that in one God, but there are three members of this one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe as Christians and as an apologist of Christianity, salvation comes to us solely through the atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Eschatology. This is a much abused doctrine, eschatology. It means, esco means last in Greek, ology means study of. So it's the study of the last things, the last days prior to the second coming of Christ. The first uh, essential doctrine in Christ is the Bible. All things hinge on the Bible. We would have no Christianity without the Bible. The Bible is number one to our faith. We know all of our Christian teachings from the Bible. It is the historical document of Christianity. When we use the term inerrancy, I think of reliability, something we can depend on. Is the Bible a true historic document that we can trust? Inerrancy is a term used to describe the 27 books of the New Testament as error-free in the original writings. The expert on biblical inerrancy was Dr. Norman Geisler. His credentials, he was an American Christian systematic uh, theologian, philosopher, and apologist. He co-founded two non-denominational evangelical seminaries. He held a Ph.D. in uh, philosophy from a university and made scholarly contributions to the subjects of classical Christian apologetics, systematic theology, and the history of philosophy, philosophy of religions, biblical inerrancy, and Bible difficulties, ethnics, and a whole ton more. He's the expert. He's like the attorney, somebody that they would put on the stand as an expert witness for the crime that you are accused of your committing. So he would be the expert that would be put on the stand to defend the Bible. The Bible's been accused that it's false, that it's not truth anymore, that it's uh, not uh, correctly translated for this day. Well, you would put Dr. Norman Geisler on the stand to defend that Bible, and he could do it. He did do it. Um, he was the author, co-founder, or editor of over 90 books and hundreds of articles. What does the term inerrancy mean? And Dr. Geisler gave the example. It implies the Bible contains neither material errors nor internal contradictions in its original writings. What does that mean? That means when the writers of the New Testament, um, John, Peter, Mark, Matthew, when they wrote the New Testament and, and then the books on the letters from the Apostle Paul and Peter and John and then the book of Revelations, that their original writings were inerrant. There was no error in those writings. So Dr. Geisler says that scriptural inerrancy is established by a number of observation and processes which include the historical accuracy of the Bible. Is the Bible 
Is it historically accurate? Can I take that Bible, or can you take the Bible, and can you prove its content? And the answer is going to be yes. How can you do this, you say? The, t- the places, the times, the customs, the culture are all proven in history. You can go for, take example, uh, John, when he was uh, on the island of Patmos, and he, he, he was uh, imprisoned there by the Roman government, and he lived in a cave there. Well, that place that he lived, where he wrote the book of Revelations, he was able to take that, that building, I have to go back a little bit, that building where he stayed, or that cave where he stayed, is today a church. Christians can go there, and they can worship the Lord in that church, and they can see the artifacts that John left behind. So that's like the historical account of the New Testament. You can prove from history, from archaeology, there's, there's no, absolutely no evidence that contradicts the Word of God. The Bible con- claims its own inerrancy. Church history and tradition, like I just said, verifies the Bible. This means the original writing from the writers of the New Testament were considered inerrant without error. Georgie, I recall you interviewing Dr. Geisler. Well, yes, he was the worst person I ever interviewed on Fox 30. <laughs> he, he, he was mad at somebody, and he gave me yes and no answers. He just, like, I'd ask a question. So on TV or radio, when you're interviewing somebody, you want to give, have them give you long, lengthy answers so is that you, you don't want, you can fill up your time. Well, he would give me, I would ask a question, and he would, I'd say, well, what's the inerrancy of the, is the Bible inerrant? He'd say, yes, and stop right there. He was terrible, terrible. In fact, what he was mad about is another really interesting thing. He was mad because a church, a Christian denomination was denying that the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was overshadowed by the Father or or the Holy Spirit and that he was born of a virgin. They were denying this. And so what happened, he was mad about it and he had taken them on. Well, I was just happened to be the interviewer at the time. It was a horrible experience. We're going to go for a break and we'll be right back. Thank you for joining us on Truth Always Matters. Today's program is brought to you by We Care Ministries. If you'd like to support this broadcast and become a sponsor, contact us by writing We Care Ministries at 3208 Highway 32, Chico, California 95973. Or look us up online at www.wecareministries.us or contact KKXX. Join us on today's program by calling 530-894-7325 here at KKXX. So we're going to come back to, i got to get my mic over here. So we're going to come back to, there are a lot of important doctrines in Christianity. Like much of the church believes in pre-rapture. 
Many believe that the rapture will occur in mid-tribulation period. Many believe in post-tribulationists, that God will take us out of the world. But those are not essential doctrines. Those are just doctrines of pretty much the ways people have different interpretations of scriptures. Some people believe in baptism through submersion or sprinkling, praying in tongues or not praying in tongues. However, these are not the essential doctrines of Christianity. The historic church in the form of the creeds, Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, established the essential doctrines for all Christianity. These essential doctrines established the foundational truths of the Christian faith. This foundation has safely guided the church throughout two millenniums. And the doctrines are the Holy Scriptures, the deity of Christ, Trinity, salvation through the twenty death of Jesus. I know we talked about that a minute ago. And eschatology, the last days. The first essential doctrine is the inerrancy of the Scriptures. So... Um, I, I got my notes mixed up here. Historically, the essential doctrines of Christianity were developed by the church fathers. The church fathers were first century disciples of the apostles. The historical period is which the fathers, the church fathers became known as the patristic era, spanning approximately from the very first century to the mid-eighth century. Clement of Rome was born 35 AD, died 99 AD. He was the bishop of Rome in the late first century AD. He is considered to be the first apostolic father of the church, one of the three chief ones together with Polycarp and Ignatius of Antioch. Why is this important? This is important because the early church developed the doctrinal positions of Christianity. What we believe today, 2,000 years, was established 2,000 years ago from the disciples of the apostles and the disciples of Christ Jesus. Clement of Rome, or uh, tradition, let's get back here a little bit. Clement of Rome, AD 38, and then holds that Polycarp and Ignatius of Antioch followed him. Tradition holds that Clement of Rome is the same Clement who Paul mentions in Philippians 4.3, and that after he was imprisoned, he was martyred by being thrown into the sea with an anchor chained around his neck. Polycarp was next to him. He, he, he was born 69 A.D. to 155 A.D. He was a disciple, direct disciple of John the Apostle, John had ordained him as a bishop of Smyrna. In fact, he is most likely as the angel referred to by Christ in Revelations 2.8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, Polycarp is regarded as the one of the three chief apostolic fathers along with the uh, Clement of Rome and Ignis of Antioch. The last one here is uh, Ignatius of Antioch was a bishop. He is thought to have been one of the children who sat at the feet of Jesus, and then Jesus held in his arm, and he blessed. St. Peter himself appointed St. Ignatius to be the bishop of Antioch. Because of his position, he is one of the apostolic fathers for his early help in building our church. Many church fathers fought hard to retain the doctrines and teachings of Christ and of the apostles and disciples of Christ. 
Cementing the doctrinal beliefs of Christianity was in the Council of Nicaea. The, the Council of Nicaea was the coming together of universal Christian leaders to determine the doctrine on the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was Jesus? And to canonize the 27 books of the New Testament as the Word of God. There was developed in that time period of 256 A.D. to 336 A.D., the doctrine was held by a man named uh, Arius. He was a Christian presbytery from Alexandria, Egypt. He taught Jesus Christ is the Son of God who was begotten by God the Father. The Son of God is not eternal, he said, but was begotten and made or created before time by God the Father. Jesus, according to Arianism, taught was not co-eternal with God the Father and is the Son to be God only in his name only, not that in reality was he God. See, one of the essential doctrines of Christianity is the Trinity. We believe that God the Father is God. We believe that the Son is God, eternal God, uncreated. And we believe the Holy Spirit is God, uncreated. Christian division in this time erupted in the church, 300 AD, erupted. It was just they were fighting all over about Jesus. The first council of Nicaea in AD 325 met for a full month. It was a council of Christian bishops convened in the city of Nicaea. This economic council was the first effort to attain complete agreement in the church through an assembling representing all Christendom. So this body of believers got together. They were your intellect. They were your apologists. They were the bishops of Christianity. They got together, and they were determining who is the Lord Jesus Christ. What are the doctrines for this infant baby church? Its main accomplishments were settled of the divine nature of God the Son and his relationship to God the Father, and then the canonization of the 27 books of the New Testament. The Nicene Council was, Thus saith the universal church on the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ. The First Council of Nicaea in 325 also canonized the Bible. The First Council of, uh, in Second Council in 381 canonized the doctrinal belief of Christianity. Ed, would you mind reading the, the Creed of Nicaea? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence of the Father. Through him all things were made, and for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. He was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. 
we affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. At the very same time of the Nicene Council, 325 A.D., it was that they determined that the Bible was to be canonized at that time. And so the scriptures, the 27 books of the Bible, were canonized. It is interesting to note, by 350, there is over 2 million believers of Christianity. All of Christianity, including Judaism, hinges on the Bible. It is from the Bible we learn about the Hebrew God, both of Christianity and the Jews. So, in front, go ahead, Ed. Uh, is is the Bible reliable? Is the Bible reliable? That's, that is what's the most on our mind. Is, is God's word reliable? Can we trust the Bible? Because it is from the Bible that we learn the incarnation of Christ, his immaculate conception, his virgin birth, his ministry, his saints, his teachings, his death on the cross, his resurrection, ascension into heaven, with his promise he would come again. Can, can we trust that? Is that truth? Because that's what the New Testament is all about. The Jews recognize the Old Testament as the Word of God, and as the and they are the custodians of the Bible. The Church recognizes both the Old and New Testament as the Word of God, and we are the custodians of the Bible. And so, is it reliable? Can we trust the Bible? And as we mentioned earlier, we trust it because of the fact that it has so much historical proof to it. Every every chapter. I could take any chapter of the Bible, any book of the Bible, I can trace it through history and I can trace it through archaeology, which means that, say it has a city there, uh, Bethany, Jerusalem, or some of the older cities of the Old Testament, I can take and trace those cities and those towns and those customs and cultures and prove that they were true, they were factual, we didn't make them up. The Jews of the Old Testament, they recognize it as the Word of God, just like we recognize both the New and the Old Testament as the, Old, as the Word of God. They don't necessarily, and they do not, recognize the New Testament as the Word of God. The other thing, was the Bible written by an angel? And the answer is going to be to that, no. The Bible was not written by an angel. First Peter says, First, Second Peter one twenty one says the Bible was written through holy men of God who were moved by the Holy Spirit. It was thus saith the Lord. Second uh, Timothy three sixteen. All scriptures, Old and New Testament, is given by the inspiration of God from the Holy Spirit, not an angel, and certainly not a seer's stone. It was the Holy Spirit moving up on people as they wrote out the history or they wrote out what the Lord was telling their hearts to do. And we can see that as being proven as true because it's actually written in history itself. It's written in archaeology itself. If we just talked about the flood for a couple minutes, is there's such a controversy over the flood. Did it happen or did it not happen? But yet there's so much evidence worldwide 
that there was a, a universal flood that happened. In contrast, we can see that the Quran was written from visions Muhammad received while in a trance. He said was from Gabriel the angel. Well, we know that's poor old Gabriel. He gets a bad, bad rap from that. The Book of Mormons was dictated to Joseph Smith from the angel Moroni. And he again was one man, and so was Muhammad, writing their holy scriptures. In, a dash, in addition, it is recorded in Mormon literature, Joseph Smith put his face into a hat and was given the Mormon scripts by looking into a seer stone. Where's the Holy Spirit in that? He's not there. In Galatians 1.8 says, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. That's a pretty heavy statement. If any other angel, even a holy angel from heaven, should tell you any other item about the Bible, then that's already been written by the, because what that means is then that we have given to you. That means what the apostles and the prophets who were direct descendants from the Lord Jesus Christ, who knew him face to face, had already said they were to be accursed. They were not to be believed. And that's what we've had happen to us recently in our modern history, is that the truths of the Bible have been under attack. We're going to go for a break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Truth Always Matters. Recently, someone posted the Bible was written by a man and the person writing the post could him or himself, herself write a book of the Bible? Others have said the Bible is not reliable because over the years the church has changed it to fit the narrative of various church leaders. Let me start by addressing the first comment. The Bible has some 66 books written by 40 authors who wrote over a span of 3,000 years. The Jewish scriptures we know as the Old Testament date back at least 1,300 years before the birth of Christ. To author these books required a unique relationship with God, and much of what was written leads to the coming Messiah. It is also an accurate historical account. The New Testament was written in the first century. To be an author of the New Testament required living at the time of Christ almost all of whom had a personal relationship with Christ during his time on earth. These writings contain prophecies and predictions, which with the exception of events to occur in our future, are 100% accurate. They contain the moral principle practices of centuries by most civilizations. First of all, we have others who have attempted to rewrite the Bible. would have to be of such high moral character and have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe, be able to predict future events with pinpoint accuracy, and have your writings have no contradiction with other books in the Bible. In fact, you'd have to start a whole New Testament. 
As to the second point, my wife recently bought a King James Bible printed in 1679. It's a personal Bible, so many of the old Bibles in existence are large. Uh, I call them 100-pound family Bibles. You've seen those big Bibles that are about 10 inches thick. and, and uh, uh, But this was a, a personal Bible, one that's about the size of our, uh, of our personal Bibles we use today. And in the margins were notes made by its original owner. Careful examination of the Bible reveals it exactly the same as the King James Bible of today. With that, we can establish in at least the last 344 years, there have been no changes to the Word of God. The historical accuracy of the Bible has been proven through archaeology and history. We said this a few minutes ago. The accuracy of the Old Testament is attested to by the Dead Sea Scrolls found in the 1940s and thousands and thousands of pieces of archaeology that have continually been found since the, the late 1800s. It's amazing what they're finding over in Israel and in Jerusalem itself, that the uncovering coins and uncovering pieces of manuscripts and, and how it, it actually verifies not just, not just the Old Testament, but it verifies the Israel nation itself, and Jerusalem itself as belonging to the Jews. The New Testament can be compared to original transcripts of the first century. It's interesting to note, oh, let me get my notes Let me here. go on. There are, there are thousands more New Testament Greek manuscripts than any other ancient writing. The internal consistency of the New Testament documents is about 99.5% texturally pure. In addition, there are over 19,000 copies in the Syriac, Latin, Coptic, and Aramaic languages. The total supporting New Testament manuscript base is over 24,000. That's like different pieces of manuscript evidence. The exceptions to true translations are paraphrases and versions called by some to be translations that are efforts to either explain the scriptures with some wanting to rewrite the Bible to fit their own personal belief system. Paul says, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely and thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bereans in Acts 17.11, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, that they re received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures, Old Testament, that's all they had back then. The New Testament had not been written yet. They had the Old Testament, and they searched the scriptures daily to make sure what the apostles and the disciples and like Paul, Apostle Paul, that they were saying what was in line with the Old Testament as they were beginning to come to Christ Jesus. Were these things so? I'd like to have a frank discussion with you about the importance of using a reliable translation of the Bible in your studies and personal growth. 
Today, there are many paraphrases of the Bible that are misbranded as translations. A few, like the Living Bible and the Amplified Bible, can be helpful in bringing understanding to difficult passages. But you should always put your trust in what we describe as the inerrant Word of God given to us in reliable translations. Some others, even those who are well-meaning, can distort the Scriptures. You'll find that some of these uh, paraphrases are based on a personal interpretation. The Bible warns, however, in 2 Peter 1.20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Have you heard of the Jeffersonian Bible? Thomas Jefferson had difficulty with believing the miracles of the Bible. His solution was to rewrite the Bible excluding differences, references to miracles. Muhammad was familiar with the scriptures, but rejected them in favor as replacing God with his moon god Allah and downplaying the role and deity of Christ. So, he wrote the Quran. Joseph Smith, through a vision he had with his head in his hat, dismissed the deity of Christ and brought a different god one who was a man who became God by living a righteous life. An interesting side note, Joseph Smith used the same hat to locate water wells through visions. Others have attempted to make the Bible more easily understood or compatible with current society, which frankly... uh, in some ways results in the dumbing down of the scriptures. An example is a common English Bible written by a fourth grade at a fourth grade level, which they say is intended to be a comfortable reading level for the majority of English readers, using gender inclusive language. And as an example, the word grace is not found and is replaced with kindness. Yet others are designed to promote a doctrinal belief held by an individual or group of people. Jehovah's Witnesses wrote the New World Translation in an attempt to make the Bible fit their lack of belief in the deity of Christ. Of note, in the past half century, the New World Translation has gone through several revisions. More recently, the Passion Version Brian Simmons is the translator of the Passion. Simmons states Christ appeared to him and commissioned him to prepare a new, fresh translation, including a new book of the Bible, which will be revealed to him in the future. The Passion has replaced the Bible among many churches in the New Apostolic Reformation and is biased towards their doctrines. In a 2015 television program, Simmons claimed that in, 20, in 2009, Christ Jesus literally visited him in his room, breathed on him, and commissioned him to write a new translation of the Bible. The message. Some Bible scholars say that Peterson's free use of breezy slang and eccentric paraphrases along with colorful expressions that border on cartoonism, 
distorted much of the meaning of the original text. Eugene Peterson is the sole author of the message translation. In contrast, the New King James Version was produced by 130 top biblical scholars. There are reliable translations that come from the original Greek. Be sure the translation you are using is based on early Hebrew and Greek manuscripts that have been accepted by the early church scholars, which we find in the Old and New Testaments. We rely, George and I rely on the King James and New King James versions. Other good versions, such as the NIV, New International Version, and the American Standard, are reliable translations. You can open your Bible if you have a King James Version, and you will see at the very French page that this is an, a translation out of the original Greek. That's important to know because a lot of them are revisions or they're amplified. It's like when I was in the Jehovah Witnesses. I studied with them for five years. I was almost ready to be baptized, and uh, I couldn't quit smoking. I was a smoker. And they, I studied their literature, read their Bible, and one day I decided to start comparing the Bibles. I started comparing the King James Version to the Bible of the, more, of the Jehovah Witnesses, the uh, New, New World Translation. And there was such a difference. When I came to John chapter 20, and that's where you get to Doubting Thomas from. Doubting Thomas said, no, I'm not going to believe in Jesus Christ or that he's really risen from the dead unless I stand in front of him and can poke my finger into the holes of his side and into his hands. Well, Jesus did that. He came to him and he stood in front of him and he put out his hand and he said, here's my side, stick, thrust forth your hand and see that I'm alive. This is me. This is really me. And Thomas, he fell down on the floor in front of Jesus, and he said, my Lord and my God, and worshiped him. And the first thing I noticed was, number one, he called Jesus my Lord and my God, and Jesus did not rebuke him, because the angels said when somebody worshiped them, no, don't worship me, I'm not God, but Jesus received the worship. And that's how we could tell that Jesus is God because he received worship. If you're not God, you cannot receive worship. That was my first introduction to, oh, there's something wrong with this group here. And then I studied more and more, and I told, finally told them, I, you know, I think I'm just going to read the Bible on my own. I think I can do that. And they told me, oh, no, 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 you cannot read the Bible on your own. It has to come through us because you can't possibly understand the Bible unless we teach you what it says. And I thought, that's amazing. Like, how does that happen? Like, I can't read? Is that what it's going on here? And no, no, we can read. We can read God's word, and we should read God's word every single day. It's it's. Thus saith the Lord to us. He's talking to us. But the, the thing that we should not do, well, I guess it's time to go for a break and we'll continue this discussion afterwards.
Thank you for sharing your Friday noontime with us uh, today. Uh, today's program is brought to you by We Care Ministries. If you'd like to support the, this broadcast or become a sponsor, contact us by writing to We Care Ministries at 3208 Highway 32 Chico, California 95973. Look us up online at www.wecareministries.us or contact the station, KKXX Radio. If you'd like to join today's program, you can call KKXX at 530-894-7325. Georgia, we began the program talking about truth always matters in every aspect of life. And uh, uh, we began with the idea of in our spirituality. And I think we can... Uh, Talk a little bit more about that, uh, because uh, what is it that uh, that we believe? And in your, um, uh, you had talked about the uh, uh, importance of, of of scripture and how we needed to be use that as our our foundation. I can recall as uh, when I first came on fire for the Lord. I was uh, uh, I went to the Christian bookstore and I consumed every book I could find on what was everybody else believing, what was happening. And yet I didn't spend, the Bible was not the, the center focus of that. I was looking at everything, and every time everything was being about, oh, God's doing a new thing here, and God's doing a new thing there. And yet the Bible is, uh, is that source of truth. Jesus said that he is the truth. And so... Um, uh, I had to learn to to come back and and, and find my uh, foundation in the Bible itself, not in what everybody else was writing, and uh, and I think your experience was uh, uh, a little bit the reverse of mine. Well, well, I think what happens is we we take the Bible and we read through it really quickly. We don't study it; we read through it. So we'll take Genesis through Revelations, and we start reading, and it's awesome to do that. Don't, don't get me wrong here. It is an awesome thing to do that. But we're not really looking at the content of what we're reading. Many times we're reading from an esoteric or spiritual meaning to the scriptures, and we're not reading what the scriptures themselves are saying, or, or for that matter, keeping them in context, like reading the, the verses above them reading them in their historical context. Because each one of these scriptures have a historical context to them. The writer's at a certain place, the writer's writing at a certain time, the writer is writing on a certain issue. And so we're looking at these scriptures and we're trying to find some type of spiritual meaning, something that's going to touch us today. And, and so we, we read through them quickly. We're not studying them. What we believe comes from that book. What I believe comes from that book. What I believe about God and my spirituality comes from the Bible. What we teach has to be in line with God's word. It can't be just a motivational message. It has to be a message that is from the heart of God. When we look at that the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, he wrote the word of God. That's the word of God 
it's not just contains the Word of God. It is the Word of God from Revel- from Genesis through Revelations. That is the Word of God, and God is talking to us. Where do we go to church at? Does that church teach the Bible? Does that church teach sound Bible doctrines? Does that ter- church teach on who the Lord Jesus Christ is and the Father is, the Trinity? Does that church teach a biblical message on how do you get saved? Jesus said, he says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men and all women unto myself. Are we really lifting up the Jesus of the Bible? These are questions that we need to ask ourselves, and we need to be going to church. God's not, he's not cast the church away. He loves the church. Jesus died for the church. The church is covered by the blood of the Lamb, but we need to find a good Bible-believing church. Along that line, Georgie, in my journey, uh, uh, again, I think I last week mentioned that I had grown up in a uh, more of a liberal church, uh, and I did not hear the scriptures coming from the pulpit. And uh, in that journey, I ended up at a church in which the pastor was preaching straight from the from the scriptures themselves. And something in me, something in me, really drew to that. There was something that, that the Spirit of God was using those scriptures uh, to speak to my heart. And so, um, again, the importance of being in a, in, uh, uh, in a church that has got a firm foundation uh, is, um, is extremely important. So in our everyday personal lives, ask yourself, are we truth seekers? I mean, I have to ask myself that a lot of times. Are we truth speakers? How often are we shading the truth just a little bit to keep ourselves out of trouble? Does our everyday personal lives reveal truth? Does it reveal truth in our taxes? Does it reveal truth in what we're we're doing or saying to somebody? Truth matters raising our children. In this day and age, this generation of children is, is just so under attack from the enemy of our souls. I cannot believe being a little child and having to hear, well, you're not really a boy and you're not really a girl. You do not have to worry about these things because you can be whatever you feel. So we have went from what is absolute to how we feel, how we think, what we, what we believe in our own mind to be. And we've done that with God also. We've made God into an image in our own mind, how I feel, how I think. And it's not an absolute, it's not absolute truth. And we will only find absolute truth in the Word of God, in God's Word, that was delivered to us from the first century. We live in an age of relatively truth. You know, what is my truth? What is your truth? And that's why a, uh, uh, we really need a, what we might call it a standard. You don't, uh, 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 you don't drive a car without a steering wheel. You know, you don't uh, uh, build a house without having a foundation to begin with. And uh, in our society, we can fall into this idea of relative truth. But have you ever given a thought to the fact that who you are and your reputation uh, uh, and how you're perceived is on how truthful you are. Your reputation is based totally on on truth, not on. It can be uh, 
made up by some folks and, and so forth, but true reputation, your true who you are, how honest you are, how uh, reliable you are, um, how reliable, how uh, much you uh, live uh, your faith is, uh, uh, is of extreme importance. And, that, and that's where truth comes into our, to our everyday lives as well. Now, financially, uh, truth really matters in our financial dealings. Uh, are we honest? If, does, uh, uh, if, if you go to the store and, and the clerk doesn't charge you for something, do you bring that to the clerk's attention? Uh, do you uh, 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 we buy and sell and sell products? Do we some that we know offends the Lord? Do we uh, uh, are we again careful about what our financial matters as well? The other big question there is: Do we trust God with our finances? That that's the hardest thing. I have to say that. I fret over the bills. I fret over the finances. And I'm always having to come back to, Lord, I trust you with our finances. I trust you with our bills. I trust you, Lord Jesus Christ, with my life, Lord. Because that's probably one of the, the greatest things that we face right now is trusting God with our finances. And the media, ask yourself. We talked about this earlier. So here in the North State, there's like five different networks. They're all owned by the same company. So you're basically watching a media that is owned by a, a huge corporation, and it dictates every single thing we read, we listen to, we watch. And so you have these little stations like KKXX, and others, and they so need the Christian support. They need Christians to be pay, praying for them. They need Christians to come and put their commercials on to support good Christian teachings. That's, that's imperative right now. When uh, we had our TV show on Fox 30, and then uh, through circumstances, we had to retire the program, there was like a big black hole there. And if, when the little stations die, when these stations die, they don't succeed. It hurts the entire community. It hurts our whole North State here. And so my thing is try to pray for the station. Put KKXX on your, on your daily prayer list. Pray for them. And if you have a favorite TV program that you're watching and it's like, ugh, I don't know if the Lord really likes that or not. I would encourage you maybe to turn it off and ask yourself, does this program really glorify the Lord? You know, that's, that's a real challenge, uh, Georgie, in our, in our society today. Um, uh, much of the programming has gone to uh, real secular uh, uh, points, and it's uh, uh, in the question is, uh, do these glor programs glorify the Lord? And uh, are we, are we re relaxed our spirituality to the point of, of uh, uh, compromising maybe and watching some programs that we uh, really, after we get done, say, well, I shouldn't have watched that. So yeah. uh, look for, look for uh, the media and where you can actually 
uh, uh, look for programs that, that, that lift up the Lord and not uh, uh, lift up the ills of society. The other thing I would bring in is how many hours a day, and it's hours a day, do I focus on my telephone? The telephone is like a little computer, so we have it. We can watch videos. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter, our X, all these different things, playing games, and it's consumed. I can't even begin to tell you how many times I've been out to a restaurant with Ed and others, and everybody except Ed and I, of course, are not looking at our telephones. And everybody else around us is just totally into their telephone. And that's a real tragedy that's happening right now is for people to lose connection with each other and they are so involved with their telephones. They don't talk anymore unless they're texting each other. That's just should not be. We need to go back to communications again. Games on your phone can be addicting. How many hours a day do I spend playing games on the phone? How do they distract me from uh, maybe my prayer time? I'll, I'll tell you I've been guilty. I've got, uh, I like uh, Spider Solitaire. And there's times when I'm playing that and suddenly I realize I just uh, uh, spent an hour or so there and uh, it went in, it cut in my prayer time. I'll be totally honest with you about that. And so... Uh, we have to be honest with ourselves about these things, and and to, um, and to just face it, face that what we're we're doing, and and correcting what needs to be corrected, and making ourselves stay close to the Lord. And so we're going to close for the day, but next week we're going to be talking about eschatology, which means the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and circumstances just previous to that. Hey, God bless you and may he he keep you in his wonderful hands.